All right. Well, I want to welcome uh, all of our campuses, those of you watching at uh, TPO, Traders Point Online. So glad to have everybody today. Those of you in the room, you guys doing good? You look good? Great to see you guys. And uh, before uh, we get rolling in uh, week number two of this uh, series, I'd like to just uh, take a quick minute and just uh, pray a pastoral prayer over our church and our nation. Um, obviously, this has just been another heavy week uh, in the news uh, just down the road from us and in Louisville, Kentucky, and, and there was the, the verdict concerning uh, Breonna Taylor, which stirs up different emotions in, in all of us. And Romans chapter 12 is a passage I just want to draw all of our attention back to that says that we need to grieve with those who grieve. And it's this idea of understanding and, and empathy and, and knowing what certain emotions get stirred up with, within all of us. And Yet I'm reminded that this is a great time to apply the content of the current series that we are in. And we want to be supportive and vocal towards our men and women in law enforcement who do such a good job and have such a challenging task. And, and so it, it, gets, it gets tense at times with situations like this. And I want to read you a quick text message that I got this last week from a friend of mine who pastors a large church in Louisville, Southeast Christian. Many of you may be familiar with that church. But um, he texted me on Thursday. This is what he said. He said, um, one of the police officers uh, was shot uh, just last night as uh, part of the riots. He was with his family. He goes to our church. One of the police officers directly involved with uh, Brianna's shooting has become a Christian just in the last couple of months. He and his wife have never been involved in church before, and they've recently started attending ours. Brianna Taylor's attorney also goes to our church, and he said, there's a lot to navigate. And I'd say so. And uh, I'm grateful for their church. I'm grateful for how they're modeling that. And uh, I just want to pray uh, for us as a church family and for our community right now. So would you please join me in that? Father, we uh, come to you right now with heavy hearts. And we're just reminded once again of the brokenness that exists in our world, the, the hurt that exists in us as people. And we want to be people of empathy, grace, and understanding. We want to be people who strive for, for justice because it is a biblical issue. And so God, today, I just ask that you would be with Breonna Taylor's family. I pray that you would be with our communities, be with our men and women in law enforcement, that they would know that they're loved and supported God, I pray that as a church, we would model a, a different way, a way to be unified in the midst of such tension and division. And so we just come to you now asking that you would pour out your spirit upon our cities, our nation, and our church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, uh, welcome back to uh, week two of our physical regathering. Um, last week, if uh, you weren't aware, we, yeah, go ahead and clap for that. We, after six months, we gathered physically at all of our campuses and it really exceeded all of our expectations. And that's largely because of you. I just want to thank every single person across all of our campuses that serve on a team from the parking lot to the auditorium to the classrooms. You guys are what make this work. You're the rock stars. And I want to thank you. And, um, and then everybody else, you know, uh, thank you for your grace and your understanding as we try to navigate these waters together. And I really am excited about uh, the future that God has for us. I really do think it's bright. And uh, if you are not able, you're not comfortable yet joining us physically and you're with us online, we understand that. We love you. We support you. Can't wait to see you when the time is right. And uh, I also just want to acknowledge all the watch parties uh, that are going on across our city and even around the 
the country. In fact, uh, we have a brand new watch party that is launching on the campus of Purdue University today. And so just want to say hello to you guys. Thanks for uh, joining us. And uh, we've got another watch party that's going to be launching, I believe, uh, here in just a, a few weeks at a restaurant in Lafayette. So we're excited about all the things that God is doing. And uh, so glad to have you join us. If you're just now joining us, whether in person or online, we are in week number two of a short three-part series of messages that God really laid on my heart um, several uh, months ago as I was just dreaming and praying and planning about our physical regathering. Like I didn't know when it was going to be. And I was just, and it was as if God said, okay, when that happens, uh, talk about this. And so we uh, paused our series in Luke and we're doing just this three-part uh, series uh, called Behind the mask, and if you were here last week, we, we said that 2020 is the perfect storm for division and disunity. Like for all kinds of reasons. This has been a crazy year with all kinds of unprecedented events, and it's left every single one of us, me included, uh, feeling fearful, worried, anxious, and depressed. And there isn't a single person hearing this right now, who hasn't felt, if you're being honest, those emotions at some time or another over the past six months or so. And all of that sort of results in, this is how I sort of phrased it last week, that our emotional shock absorbers, you know, those things that allow us to sort of, you know, overlook something if it kind of rubs us the wrong way. Like those are just shot this year. And it's, res it's resulted in us um, being offended in fact, I don't know that I know anybody who hasn't been offended multiple times throughout this year. And then magnifying all of that is right now we're currently in a season of, of mask wearing and physical distancing, which just makes it difficult to communicate and connect with, with one another. And so what we just simply want to do in this series is just be reminded of what you likely already know. It's just, we just need to be reminded of it, is that behind the mask, and in many cases on the other side of that screen, is a real life person created in the image of God who Jesus died for. And regardless of what they currently believe about God or where they are in their spiritual journey or where they are in their political convictions and beliefs, they still deserve to be loved and respected. In fact, it just might be, it just might be the demonstration of your unconditional love into their life that might be the catalytic opportunity that God uses to bring them to the grace that can only be found in Jesus. Listen, I've been doing this a long time and I've never ever talked to anybody about their like story and say, hey man, tell me your story. Like, how did you come to know Jesus? Like, oh man, it's just the craziest thing. I, I just got verbally attacked by a Christian. And I, I you know, I, they, 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 they just gave me a good tongue lashing in the comment section on Facebook. And I just realized the error of my ways and dropped to my knees right there in the living room and, and, and baptized myself in the hot tub. I, it's like, I've just never heard that story. Like, if that's your story, I'd love to meet you. Come find me after. But I don't know that I'd know anybody who said, yeah, I, I entered into a life-changing relationship with Jesus because I got shamed into it. And we never see Jesus modeling it that way. Jesus was always going to, to people, going out of his way to reach people that never thought that they could, would be welcomed by him. And he demonstrated unconditional love and that was the catalyst that changed their lives. And as a, as a church, we, we need to not ever forget that. See, um, the events of 2020 has not taken God by surprise. And the division that we're currently seeing right now did not take Jesus by surprise either. He saw all of it coming 2,000 years ago. Which is why his dying prayer that we looked at last week in John chapter 17, the night before his arrest and crucifixion, 
was all about our unity. And we said this last week that he didn't pray for uniformity where everyone is the same. Like we, we can't sit there and get a group of people together that look like me and talk like me and think like me and act like me and vote like me and then declare unity. I know that's uniformity. It's just where everybody's the same. No, unity is, it implies diversity. In fact, that, that's exactly what you need in order to have unity. And we oftentimes, beginning even with Jesus' disciples, is that we oftentimes think that uh, these 12 guys were all the same. That they grew up in the same little town and that they would have had the same beliefs and the same values and they would have looked the same and talked the same and acted the same. And that's just not the case. Jesus chose a diverse group of followers to be his disciples. And some of them are Jews and some of them are Gentiles. And some of them grew up in small towns, some of them grew up in big towns. And some of them were fishermen and some of them were tax collectors. I guarantee you that Matthew and Peter's politics did not see eye to eye. And there would have been plenty of heated conversations around the campfire at night where Jesus had to, on multiple occasions, say, guys, could you, could you tone it down? And you just read through the Gospels and you see that the disciples were always jockeying for position. They're always trying to one-up each other. And so Jesus, the night before he's getting ready to leave them, prays for their unity. And he says, God, the church is kind of hinging on these guys' actions and their words, and I need them to be unified. And that leads into the two primary reasons for why you and I should strive for unity today. And the first one is that the mission of the church is far too critical. And I just want to be super clear, especially as we regather, why we do what we do. Like, I don't want you just coming or joining us online just to get a little bit of spiritual content for your week. I hope that happens. We work hard for that to happen, but that's not our mission. Like, I hope that you get a little bit of an encouragement so that you can dive into whatever the week has ahead of you. And I, I want you to be encouraged, but that's not our mission. Our mission very clearly is to remove unnecessary barriers to get people to Jesus so that he can transform their lives in ways that only he can. That is our mission. And over and over again, when Jesus would say, yeah, I need you to be unified. And when Paul would write about it in the New Testament, they would almost always follow with, so that the world would know. They would almost always follow with, this will, this will prove to the world that you are my followers if you can be unified. Why? Because it's such a rare thing. For people to actually not look alike and talk alike and think alike and act alike and yet be unified under the blood of Jesus Christ, keeping their eyes focused upon him. Here's the second reason, and this is what I want to drive down on today, is that God's plans for your future, and, and I'm talking to you, whoever you are, are too big for you to hold on to an offense. God's plans for your future are too big for you to hold on to an offense. And as we look at scripture on this, I just want to point out that out of all the ways that Satan can destroy you, and I want to be really, really clear here that he is out to destroy you. That he's not some little cartoon character with horns and a pitchfork just running around doing a bunch of mischief. No, he hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your emotional well-being. He, he, hates, he hates the core of who you are. He wants to destroy you. And one of his most hidden and sinister weapons to destroy you is when you and I get caught up in the trap of offense. Now, what do I mean and why do I say that? Well, let me just start off with this right here. I think most of you would agree with me. It is impossible, especially in our day and age, to not be offended. Would you agree with that? 
like with, with people that you know and even people that you don't know, you're, you're in your relationships, your friendship, your marriage. Like you, you do life with a group of people long enough and they're going to do something or say something that's going to offend you. And we actually are going to see here in a minute that Jesus actually says that very thing. He says that uh, it's impossible to go through life and not be offended. And the challenging thing with it is that let's just say you, you manage to navigate around an offense or maybe to forgive an offense. There's just going to be another one. And there's going to be another one. And there's going to be another opportunity for you and me to get offended. And I just want you to take a quick second and think about all the ways maybe here recently in which you've gotten offended. And how did it happen? And, and I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Maybe you can relate to this. Is that most of the time when, when I get offended, uh, I very rarely see it coming. It sort of blindsides me. And uh, it sort of spins me out a little bit. And, um, and then I end up on occasion um, maybe behaving in such a way that, that really I shouldn't. Because I just got offended in the moment. I was trying to think this last week about um, maybe an example from my life. And honestly, like I just thought of like way too many. And like we only have like 35 minutes. So uh, I had to narrow it down. And I was like, okay, what's like the biggest, like most recent one? And it just sort of came to me as this was just a few weeks ago. This is not like some old illustration. This is just like fresh. And uh, I was, uh, uh, my wife and I were out to dinner with some friends of ours on a Friday night. We went to one of our favorite Mexican restaurants and it was a gorgeous evening. We sat outside, beautiful weather, a great food, good conversation. I was in a good mood. And we get finished, we get in, in, in our truck and we're, we're driving, it's, this is downtown and we're on like a four lane road. So two lanes going in one direction, two lanes in the other. And I'm in the left-hand lane and apparently uh, my right tire sort of bumped up against the, the line and I didn't know it. And there was a tow truck kind of behind me back a little bit. I didn't see him. It's sort of in my blind spot. And um, he just laid on, on the horn. And it sort of startled me and it sort of startled all of us. And then right there, there was like a red light. So we're stopping at the light. He's just like right there. And he sort of honks again and he's just sort of angry. And I got offended. I was just like, man, this guy needs to chill out. So here's what I did. I just kind of honked back. <laughs> if you can kind of honk back, all right? It's just, just kind of honk back. And so he then uh, proceeds to roll down his, went, roll down, what are we, 1978? He, he like, <laughs> he, he rolls down his window and, uh, and he leans out and he just starts screaming at me. Like he's like cussing and you need to pay attention. And he's using sign language. He's like, tell me I'm number one. Like I assume that's what that meant. And you, you got to understand, like, like my wife hates conflict of any kind. And so she's like between me and the tow truck driver, like she's the closest to him. And she's just like this, you know, she's like Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. And, and so here's what I did. I mean, as a pastor, I was, I just... I just wanted to lay holy hands on this guy. I just, and, uh, and so I just kind of leaned as close to the windshield as I could. And I, I'm not proud of this, all right? But I just, I just go, what are you going to do? Right? That's what I did. <laughs> just inflamed the situation, all right? And, our, you know, our friends, our four friends are in the back seat going, well, Pastor Aaron's just really, and... And it was later on in the night, like I just, uh, I, I was thinking about it and I was just like, man, what happened? 
having a great night up until that point. I mean, we were at our, one of our favorite restaurants, having a glorious meal of enchiladas and churros. Can I get a good amen? All right, and just one of the gifts from God. And we're having a great conversation with dear friends. Beautiful night. I'm cruising down the road. We're just listening to some of our favorite tunes. And somebody honks. And it just spins me out. And I act in a way that if you all were with me, you'd think less of me because of how I responded. And can you think of a moment in your life where you've gotten offended? Some of you are like, well, sure, but not that bad. I mean, it's just, we're praying for you. All right, thank you. Uh, no, you probably know, don't you? Maybe it even happened on the way to church today. And you got offended. And it, 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 here's, the, here's the thing that we all have in common. It, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. It, it's almost as if you stepped into a trap. And the reason why we use the word trap actually is because throughout Scripture, that's actually the word that Jesus uses for it. In fact, this is the word that he uh, says in, in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is uh, talking about his disciples and he's talking to them about how they can live out God's plans and purposes for their life. And Jesus says to his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. He says, hey, listen, it is just, it is inevitable. You are going to be offended regularly in this life. And the word that Jesus uses for offenses in that passage and uh, other New Testament writers, when they use this word, it actually comes from the Greek word scandalon. And scandalon simply means, scandalon means, if we could go to the definition, scandalon means the bait that triggers a trap to close. That's the word that Jesus uses for offenses. Makes it even more interesting when you see how the Amplified Bible translates the exact same verse. It said that Jesus said to his disciples, stumbling blocks, meaning temptations and traps set to lure one to sin, are sure to come. So why set a trap? Well, to, to kill or cage something you don't want around. And so... Why use a trap? Well, because it sneaks up on whatever it is that's being baited. And so Jesus is saying in this passage that when you step into the trap, not just of being offended, everybody gets offended, but holding on to the offense, that is Satan's way of holding you back and keeping you stuck from God's best, his plans and his purposes for your life. That is an incredibly descriptive word picture, isn't it? And I just wanted you to think about all the creative ways that we as human beings have designed traps. I've just got a few traps up here. We've got like a raccoon trap down here. We've got the old uh, bug zapper, right? It's on the back porch. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of uh, fishing lures. Really, they're just traps. They're just designed to attract a fish, get the hook set in its mouth. Uh, this is uh, actually a carpenter bee trap from uh, our house. We put these on the back porch, on the front porch, because uh, we hate it when the carpenter bees just bore into the wood in our houses. And so carpenter bee gets trapped. They, they go into this little hole and they, they get stuck in this little container. And, and I would imagine they're all just like screaming for their little lives. It's a lot of entertainment. All right. And you got, you know, your testy, you know, mouse trap. This is actually a rat trap. This thing is massive. It was the last one at Lowe's. I'm glad I got it. I don't know if I'll ever use it, but we got... You got these ant traps. You got some sort of like coyote trap here. We actually were going to uh, set this today, but we decided that I, I would probably likely step into it. So we've got all these, cre oh, these right here. Uh, you remember these little Chinese finger traps? This just brings out some of the worst memories for you on the playground, doesn't it? 
It's like, hey, man, put your finger here. And put your finger here. It's like, oh. You know, it's, it's just like you're. I'm having way too much fun. That's uh, um, all the creative ways that we as human beings have designed traps. You know what Genesis 3 says about Satan? That he's a deceiver. And that he is way more creative at designing traps for you and I to follow into. And it's not, it's not just about avoiding one trap, but there's going to be another one coming. And another one, and another one, and another one. And it's not just being offended, it's holding on to the offense. That is his way of absolutely destroying your life. And so if I could say today's message in a sentence, like if you forget everything else I say today, remember this, avoiding an offense is impossible. Jesus says that. But living offended, that's a choice. Living offended is a totally different thing. And that's on you. And that's on me. And you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in the trap of offense. Now, why is this so destructive? Well, for this reason right here, and I alluded to it last week, is that whenever you hold on to an offense, you allow bitterness into your heart. That's the opportunity when bitterness gets in there. And bitterness is the cancer of your soul. And bitterness makes no distinction among people. It will sink its teeth into the young and the old into men and women, into those with a great disposition and those with not such a great disposition, into the life of a Christian and the life of a non-Christian. In fact, can I just say this, that nothing grieves the Spirit of God more than a bitter Christian. And the reason why is because fundamentally, I'm not talking about growing up religious. I'm not talking about uh, growing up in a Catholic home or a Baptist home. I'm talking about where you have had a personal conversion to Jesus Christ that radically transformed your life by his grace, meaning that you understand what you've been set free from, meaning that you understand that it is an undeserved gift, meaning that you know that your identity is found in who God says you are and what Jesus died to give to you, not what other people say to you or about you, meaning that this world is not our home. So why do I keep getting spun out by everything that I hear on Fox News or CNN? That the government is not my savior, but that Jesus is. I can hold on to this life loosely because I've got something far more valuable that Jesus died to give to me. Therefore, I'm a gracious, sweet, generous person, regardless of what you can say to me or do to me. And so can I just, can I just say this statement right here? And, I want to say it a little bit stronger. A bitter Christian will cause more damage to the kingdom of God than any militant atheist ever will. Now, what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, I just simply mean that when you have someone who does not know Jesus, they, they, and they, they're, they're wondering if the Bible can be trusted. They're, they're wondering if this whole gospel stuff is really true. They're wondering if we're really legit. And then they come into contact with a, a bitter person who calls themselves a Christian, man, it's a turnoff. Man, it will push them away. When they, when they come across a post on social media that is from a Christian, but it's really sort of vile, it's really sort of angry and bitter, it'll push them away. And I'm not just talking about this like, like hypothetically. I've talked to a number of people as a pastor who struggle with faith. And normally when I just ask them to explore that with me, um, almost always it's because they had an interaction with a bitter Christian 
or somebody who called themselves a Christian. And can I just say, and I've said this a long time ago here, and those of you that have been in our church for a while, you've heard this before. Can I just say to you who are maybe here or listening to this and you're sort of wondering if all this can be really be true and trusted, that just because somebody follows Jesus poorly doesn't mean that he isn't worth following. And so don't allow the bitterness of somebody else to keep you from the goodness of God's grace. And if you are a Christian, maybe it's time to have another conversion, except this time realize what it is that you're truly responding to, that we are saved by grace. That ought to make us the most gracious people on the planet. See, we should as a church commit these verses to memory. Colossians chapter 4, 5 and 6. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity, especially in 2020. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for those who agree with you. No. It says for, those, for, for everyone, meaning everyone that you come into contact with, whether they agree with you or not, whether you see eye to eye on things or not, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you'll have the right answer for them, which means you're anticipating the traps. You're anticipating the things that you might step into. Because listen, bitterness is a killer in fact, right now, what I want to ask you to do is I want you to take just a, a quick second right now, wherever you are, and I want you to think about a person in your life that you know who is bitter. All right? Go. Did you get one? Some of you are like, oh yeah, right away. Right away. I, I had to narrow it down. I've got like a whole group of people that I know of in, in my life that are bitter. And maybe, maybe uh, your, your former boss came to mind. Maybe your ex-husband came to mind. Maybe your in-laws, maybe a neighbor. Maybe the person you're with. Don't look at them. All right, they're going to know. I mean, you, you just immediately had uh, uh, probably a lot of people come to your mind. Now, now, why are they bitter? And there may be a number of specific circumstances that you can mention in their life. But here's what's generally true for everybody who is bitter. Is that at some point in their past, they got offended. And instead of dealing with it, they chose to stay offended. And now they're living offended. And that's how it works. In fact, the author of Hebrews urges us in chapter 12, verse 15. He says, watch out. It means be alert. Be on the lookout. That no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. And then the result of that is... It corrupts many. And so he's basically saying that how bitterness works is you let a little bit of it into your heart because you didn't deal with the offense and then it sort of takes root in you and it overtakes your heart and it troubles you and it corrupts your relationships. And all of us know somebody who is bitter. That's not hard to discern. We can always see bitterness in other people. It's hard for us to see bitterness in ourselves. And so I, what I just want to challenge you to right now, I know maybe some of you are thinking, oh man, this message is so good. You know, uh, uh, such and such really needs to hear this. You know, Karen, Karen needs this message like so bad. So I hope she's here today, Karen. And you know, uh, I don't know when this message is going to get posted online, but I'm totally reposting and I'm tagging Karen. All right, like I... Like Karen needs to hear this man. And maybe she does. Nobody's going to dispute that. 
But can I just ask you right now not to move too quickly to want to bless Karen? What's God want to say to you? Because what's true for me is that I'm usually the last one to see bitterness in my heart because I get really good at justifying things. I'm a great defense attorney for Aaron Brockett. And I can speak up and I can get defensive and I can say, no, it's what about this? It's not really that. And, and, and what, what is it? Is God doing something in, in you right now? Because the reality is, is that even if Karen does need to hear them, poor Karen, we're picking on her, right? My apologies to all the ladies named Karen, all right? The reality is, is that you can't do anything about their bitterness anyway, even if you wanted to. And some of you have tried, like you've tried to deal with it. They just dig their heels in further, but you can do something about the potential bitterness that's in your own heart. So can I just very lovingly, but very directly ask you this question? Right now, today, is there any bitterness in your heart? Have the events of 2020 caused bitterness in your heart? Has your divorce caused bitterness in your heart? That person you love betrayed you, walked out on you. Is there bitterness in your heart? That failure in your past, you thought those people would always have your back. Does it cause bitterness? Can I just say I'm so sorry for the hurt that you have? And nobody is going to blame you for feeling that way. Can I also just lovingly invite you to enter into the painful but yet freeing process of allowing Jesus to free you up from the bitterness because it's holding you back. It's actually holding you back from God's best for your life, the plans and the purposes that he has for you. He wants so much more for you. No, nobody ever won by being bitter. Nobody ever, nobody ever once said, you know, I'm better because I'm bitter. Nobody. And I can speak from personal experience. Uh, I, um, Several years ago, there was a young leader that I really took a great interest in and was investing into him and pouring into him, really believed in him and was trying to give him as many opportunities as I could. I loved him, still do. And things got sideways and he's not here anymore. And he blamed me for some things that really hurt me and, 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 I, and I got offended and I got hurt and I didn't deal with it. Like some of you are like me. It's like, I don't have time for emotions. <laughs> I'm a robot. And uh, so I just kept forging ahead. You would ask me about it, I'd be like, yeah, it's an unfortunate deal. I've forgiven him. It's all fine. It's all good. Not really. And it came to the surface like early last year, 2019. I, I met another young leader who just joined our staff and they came up all enthusiastic. Like re, they came on like really strong because they were enthusiastic. And they were just like, oh man, it's so glad to be here. And I've been listening to your messages for a long time. And I can't wait to actually work with you. And I can't wait to spend time with you. And I can't wait to actually grab coffee with you. And I, I had this thought that just shot into my mind. I didn't even know where it came from. But I remember thinking to myself, whoa, slow down. I don't know if I want to know you. You might hurt me too. And it stunned me because I didn't know where that thought came from. And I walked back to my office and I sat down as if the Spirit of God said, um, uh, Brockett, uh, you didn't deal with it. There's still, there, that, that hurt, that offense, you've allowed a root of bitterness to take root in your heart and it's going to hold you back if you don't deal with it. And maybe there's somebody listening to this right now and you need the same message. Because God right now wants so much more for you. He wants to do so much more in you and through you in your life. And actually the thing that's holding you back is not talent. The thing holding you back is not charisma. The thing holding you back is not finances. It's bitterness. 
And maybe you don't even see it. Maybe you don't even know. Because you've got really good at short of justifying it. Now, the really, really good news today, I want to give you good news, is that there is a way not only for us to avoid the traps of offense, but actually to get out of them if we find that we're stuck in them. Because going back to what Jesus said in Luke 17, he goes, hey, it is impossible to not be offended. And may you just think about all the ways that we can be offended today. I mean, it is uh, just, there's so many ways that we can be offended. May you get offended when somebody uh, suggests that you're 40 when really you're 35. Ladies, somebody, you get offended when somebody asks you how far along you are. You're not pregnant. <laughs> offended. Single adults get offended. Somebody's talking to you. It's like, hey, why don't you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Like, what's wrong? You're like, what's wrong with your face? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you get offended by the posts on social media. You get offended when the coach doesn't give your kid a fair shake. You get offended when you get criticized unfairly and it damages your reputation. The ways to be, you can, have you ever been just offended by a look? Somebody gives you a look, you're like, what does that mean? I'd like to know what they're thinking. You know, it's just like, it just spins your whole day out. The ways we can get offended are endless, but I want to bring you back to the message in a statement. Avoiding an offense, it's impossible. Living offended, and that's on you. That, that's on me. That's actually a decision that we can make. Well, Aaron, like, how, how, do, how do I let go of that thing in a healthy way? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Proverbs is packed full of practical wisdom for everyday life. And we find this incredible principle. I actually mentioned this a few weeks ago. And it helps us to get out of the trap of offense. And it says this in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. And it is to one's glory. And that just simply means magnificence. Uh, this, it means something that's really good, something that's beautiful to overlook an offense. And you unpack that verse a little bit and says that it's your wisdom that gives you patience, that then gives you the ability to overlook offenses when they come. And we all know this to, to be true. I, I think about some of the, the people like on our staff that are the most respected on our team and there's maybe a number of reasons for why they're so respected, but almost always what they all have in common is that they're not easily offended. They are gracious people. They give the benefit of the doubt. They assume the best. You, you look at some of the people throughout history that have changed our world for the better. There might be a number of attributes to that. They might be heroic. They might be generous. They might be wise, but almost always they are people that are not easily offended. So what does it mean to, to overlook an offense? Well, actually, that, that word comes from the Hebrew word uh, abar. And, and here's the big idea. To abar means to overlook an offense. And that means to pass or to step over it. So what that means is during the course of your life and mine, when Satan sets these traps out into our path, traps of offense, when it comes to any sort of relational dynamic at, at all, when we come up on a trap, we can choose to step into it and get stuck in it, or we can choose to a bar. You could choose to react and you just uh, tell that person off, write them off, or you can a bar. You can step over or around the offense. Now, let me just offer a few words of caution here for what I don't mean by that. 
Uh, some of you right now, like, you're, you're like, whoa, well, I, I think I'm actually really, really good at this because uh, I, I don't like conflict. And so anytime there's ever any sort of conflict or I get offended and somebody asks if I'm okay, then I say, I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything's good. It's great. And you know, it ain't all good. And you're not fine. And it's not great. And you didn't a bar. You just stuffed it down deep. And you know that eventually that's going to come out like a volcano at some point. That's not what I'm talking about. Others of you, you're like, well, Aaron, I don't know if I like this whole idea of a bar. It kind of sounds weak. Kind of sounds soft. Man, if somebody offends me, if somebody says something I don't like, man, I need to tell them. You know, I need to put that person in their place. And I would just say simply this. It takes more strength to step over an offense than it does to react or to respond every time you're offended. And some of us, um, we're, we're too defensive. And so when, when somebody comes at us with, maybe it's not even a criticism, it's just a little bit of feedback. You ever tried to give somebody some healthy feedback, maybe in a, in a uh, work evaluation, and it's like playing racquetball with them. You like, give them some feedback, and they're just immediately, you know, no, I'm not going to receive that. Just like, well, well, you don't understand. Or I tried. And it's just like, they're just not open to anything. Eventually, you're going to stop giving them feedback. And when we get overly defensive, that's not a, a bar either. And I had to learn this sort of the hard way. Like, as a younger leader, this is really hard for me. Like, I've never really seen myself as a leader. I'm, in many ways, like, one of my, like, Achilles heels as a leader is that uh, I, I don't like displeasing people. And so, I mean, if I know that you're upset with me, I'll lose sleep over it until we're good. And uh, early on as a young leader, like I stepped into uh, a role that was way bigger than my ability to fulfill and immediately was just blindsided with criticism. And I'm not just talking about a little bit of feedback. I'm talking about like harsh, cutting criticism. And it spun me out. And uh, it caused me to uh, either get gun shy about making decisions uh, or I wanted to sort of uh, lash back out and defend myself every single time. I actually had crossed the line into defensiveness. And I'll never forget an older mentor who really loved and cared about me put his arm around me one day and said, hey, Aaron, I'm, I'm watching this in you and this is gonna hold you back. Like you're not, gonna, you're not gonna make it if you don't deal with this. And I'll never forget what he said that day. He said, Aaron, if you're gonna be an effective leader, then you need to develop the courage of a lion because you're gonna have to make some tough decisions that not everybody's gonna like. The skin of a rhino, because the arrows will come, and the heart of a teddy bear. In other words, protect your heart. Thick skin, soft heart. Because if you're a leader who develops a hard, bitter heart, then that's the end of your effectiveness as a leader. And maybe there's somebody that needs to hear that today. Say, hey, don't, don't stop being courageous. Hey, don't, don't just kind of go in a different direction every time you get criticism but maintain a soft heart. And I know that's true for you as well. Some of you right now, every time maybe you get criticized or you get offended in some way, you, you don't need to automatically jump to defend yourself. And here's, here's why. This is just a little principle you might take with you. Is that your friend, like your true friends who really know and love you, they don't need an explanation. Your enemies won't believe you no matter what you say. So instead, instead of trying to defend yourself all the time, just... Don't try to convince them. They'll ultimately find out the truth about you by the way that you live. That doesn't mean that you don't occasionally speak up. It doesn't mean that you don't respond. It means you don't 
react. There is a difference. And we respond by assuming the best and leading with love. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love, it covers over all wrongs. And practically lived out, that means that when offended, you can assume the worst of someone, or you can lead with love, and you can assume the best. So can I just ask you today, as we begin to, to close up, what do you normally lead with when you get offended? Do you assume the best about somebody's intentions or motives? Or do you automatically jump to the worst possible explanation of it? So you, you get cut off in, in traffic and it, immediately do you get offended and you go, man, that big jerk. He just totally risked my life. God, right now, I pray that you would just uh, bring upon him some crippling constipation tonight because of what he just did. You're just assuming the worst. What if you, like in that moment, led with love and assumed the best? I don't know. Maybe he just got a phone call that his child is in the ER. He's trying to get to the hospital. Have I ever cut somebody off in traffic and I didn't mean to? Yeah. Hey, I'll just assume the best, lead with love. A coworker says something really rude to you. You, you assume the worst and go, man, she's just trying to get my job. They're just trying to make me look bad. Or do you assume, well, I don't know. I don't know what they've got going on in their life. Maybe today they're really dealing with something at home and maybe they just weren't thinking. Maybe, maybe they just, they got poor people skills. They came across in the wrong way. I'm not saying you stuff it and you can investigate, have a conversation, talk about it, but you lead with love. You assume the best. Maybe a friend ghosts your text message. You text them, don't hear anything back. And you actually put a lot of thought into that text. And you're like waiting for a response and wait. And what's even worse, you ever get the bubbles showing that they're texting you back? You're like, okay, here it comes. And then the bubbles go away and nothing. You're just like, whoa, didn't you have the courage to click send? I mean, come on. And you, you know, we, we can assume the, the worst. I don't know, maybe they got distracted. Maybe they decided that day that they were just gonna take a day and be tech free for a while. I don't know, just assume the best, lead with love. Hey, this is what's true in marriage. You wanna know the, the secret to marriage? It's, it's not the romance. It's not, uh, you know, perfect compatibility. Marriage is two imperfect people who are always assuming the best about each other's motives. And they lead with love. And I'm talking about in a healthy marriage, not in an abusive one. Can I just give you this little principle for free right here when it comes to your relationships is that when you win an argument, and some of you are really, really good at this, you just wanna be right. When you win an argument with anyone you care about, the relationship always loses. You might've maybe made your point, but it, it's costing the relationship something. And in Revelation, it describes Satan as an accuser. And that should be an alarm for us that when we are always accusing others, then perhaps we, we are never more like him. But when we can assume the best and lead with love in a gracious and generous spirit, who's that more like? Oh man, that's more like our savior. That, that's more like Jesus. And if he didn't do that for you, there, you wouldn't stand a chance of doing it for others. And I love how the King James Version translates Romans chapter four, verse 25. It says, Jesus was delivered for our offenses, your ones are mine. And he was raised again for our justification. And I was always growing up, I never knew what that word meant. And my Sunday school teacher told me, well, here, that just means just as if you'd never sinned. 
And I was like, oh man, that's amazing. It's an easy way for me to remember that. He's like, he, he, he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised again so that we could be just as if we had never sinned. And see, our sin, we gotta be reminded, was really offensive to God that it was an affront to our relationship with him. Sin is not just like a list of things that God kind of created off to the side, said, well, here's all the things on the naughty list. Don't want you to do those because that's a no-no. No, sin is anything that actually creates space between you and a God who loves you. And he made the first move. In fact, Romans tells us that he sent Jesus not knowing full well that not everybody would receive him. But he said, no, I'll still go. I'll still lead with love and cover the gap with grace. And so today, I just want to invite you into that relationship. Maybe you grew up in church your whole life. You didn't grow up in Christ. And maybe today that's gonna change. Maybe today you've grown up religious, but you didn't really let grace get into your heart. Maybe today you're just gonna begin to realize there's a root of bitterness that's, that's choking out your heart. You didn't even know it was there. And I want you to know it is never too late to be set free from the God who covers you by his love and his grace. See, being offended, that's just what it means to be human. Living offended, that's a choice. And you can make a different one. And today, if you're ready to begin following Jesus, just very simply, wherever you are, whether you're in person or online, you can just text Jesus to 87221. And our team would love to follow up with you and just help you take your next steps and whatever that growth is. And so what I want to do right now is just invite all of us, whether whatever campus you're joining us from, whether you're on campus at Purdue, you're in a watch party in somebody's backyard, you're joining us online from your living room, would you just stand to your feet and we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Spirit of God to come. And this is the part of the message uh, of application. This is the part of the message where we've, we've, we've sung some songs, uh, we've said hello to a few people, we, we've, we've heard a message and now's the time for us to actually invite the Spirit of God who is in the room that you're in right now to do a work on your heart. And that's gonna come by us lifting our voices and singing and inviting him into this presence. And, and, and I don't want you to move past this moment. I don't want you to leave too early. I don't want you to, maybe your body will stay here, but maybe your mind is somewhere else. I want you just to stay in the moment just for a, a few minutes together just pray that the Spirit of God might do a transformational work in your heart. Father, we come to you right now, and I'm so grateful that your word is so living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And God, right now, I pray that there may be a number of people who, whose eyes are opened to the fact that maybe they've been trapped by bitterness, and it is a root that has overtaken their life, troubling them and corrupting many. And God, our life is too short and your plans for us are far too big for us to stay in that trap. And you sent Jesus so that we could be set free from it. So Father, today I pray that we would taste and see that your grace is so good. God, I pray that there's any one of us who've maybe forfeited that. We've actually traded. It's a poor substitute. We've been going through religious behavior and we've never been changed by your grace. And that doesn't mean we need to overlook the hurt that's in our lives or to downplay it or dismiss it. We need to redirect it. We need to give it to you, the great physician who can heal us from that. God, I pray that somebody's life right now in these moments would change because of your love and your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody says,